This morning's reading is taken from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 13, and may be found on page 1203 in the Church Bibles. Therefore, since the promise of entering his test still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just, just as God has said. So I declared on my oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God not, would not have spoken later about another day. There remains, then, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following the example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the word of the Lord. It's the beginning of half term 
And for some of us, that will mean the opportunity for rest. Perhaps if we have grandchildren, that will mean the opposite of an opportunity for rest. You may be longing for rest by the time it gets to Thursday evening. I don't know what comes to mind when you think about having a rest, but I'm sure that in different ways and at different times, it's something that we all find ourselves longing for. Whether it's five interruption-free minutes with a cup of tea, or a break from managing caring responsibilities or a health condition. Maybe it's watching TV at the end of a long day, or perhaps a holiday on a sunny beach. I'm sure we've all thought or uttered the words, I could really use a rest. A rest would be nice. Uh, Our Bible reading this morning uh, from Hebrews, it doesn't promise its hearers or readers a cup of tea, a lion, or a holiday. I'm afraid that's not what's being offered to you as you come to church this morning. But instead, it reminds us of the promise of the ultimate rest that Jesus gives us. Rest that we're invited not just to long for, but to live in and out of. You may have noticed, as Pam read to us, the word rest or rest appears 11 times. And the word enter or enters or entering appears seven times. This is a passage that has something to say to us about entering God's rest. Throughout this passage in Hebrews, you might find it helpful to have it open in front of you. It's on uh, 1203 of the Bibles, Hebrews 4, 1 to 13. Throughout this passage, the writer is drawing on Psalm 95. You might also want to have one finger in Psalm 95. To tell the hearers and readers then and us now about God's final rest, the rest Jesus gives, and how we can have it. So there are two questions I'd like to invite us to think about this morning. The first is, what does this passage tell us about the rest Jesus gives? If it's not a cup of tea, a lion, or a holiday, what is this rest? And the second question is, how can God's people get this rest? How do they, how do we enter the rest Jesus gives? So what is it and how can we have it? And I've got three points in response uh, to each of those questions. So that's where we're going this morning. But firstly, I think it's helpful for us to remind ourselves who the likely recipients of this letter were. The likely recipients of this letter were Jewish Christians facing persecution who, in the context of persecution, were losing confidence in their Christian faith. They were retreating rather than growing. Now, whilst it was weariness as a result of persecution that was causing the Jewish Christians to lose confidence in their Christian faith, I'd like to suggest that this message in Hebrews 4 is more relevant to us than we might initially think. Because certainly if I look at my own life, I can relate to the experience of exhaustion and weariness causing me to change my priorities or withdraw 
a little. It might not be weariness in the context of persecution, but I can relate to how exhaustion and weariness cause me to change my priorities. I don't know about you, but in more demanding seasons of life, I'm sometimes less good at keeping in touch with people. And in my Christian faith, I have to be really disciplined about prioritising time with God and resisting the temptation to spend less time in prayer and worship and Bible study and with other Christians in order to cross things off my to-do list. Things that might feel urgent, things that might feel godly, but which I'm called to do not in my own strength, but out of my relationship with God. The very thing that I'm tempted to make a lower priority. I don't know if that's something you can resonate with. So as we think about the encouragement to long for and live in and out of the ultimate rest Jesus gives, we might not need to hear that encouragement in the context of weariness from being persecuted, but we may need to hear it in the context of weariness from feeling busy and overwhelmed and there are just not enough hours in the day. If God's rest in Hebrews 14 is not a cup of tea, a lion or a holiday, what is it? Well, we have three illustrations of God's rest. The first is this, the first is creation. In verse 4, the writer of Hebrews recalls how after six days of creative work, God rested on the seventh day, thus establishing the pattern of Sabbath, that one day in seven should be a day of rest. However, despite this, there would be those who wouldn't enter God's rest. And the writer of Hebrews quotes the warning in Psalm 95. That's in verse 3 and also in verse 5. We who have believed enter that rest, they shall never enter my rest. The Sabbath was given for rest from work. And yet for some, the following of the Sabbath, rather than being a gift of rest, has become a burden, stopping the very things that bring restoration. So that's the first illustration we have of God's rest, creation, Sabbath. The second is the arrival of the Israelites in the promised land. The writer of Hebrews moves from God resting on the seventh day of creation to, in verse 6, those who did not go in uh, to the promised land because of their disobedience. There's this parallel between God resting after six days' work at creation and the Israelites entering the promised land after 40 years wandering in the wilderness. In entering the promised land, the Israelites have entered God's rest insofar as they can now settle and make their home there. They're not wandering anymore. However, the writer then goes on to point out, verse 8, that if this is God's rest, why does the psalm of David, which it may or may not have been, but everyone at that time assumed it was, uh, the point is that it was definitely written after the Israelites entered the promised land. Why does the psalm of David, why does Psalm 95 use the language of today and imply there's a future rest to be entered? 
If Joshua, in leading God's people into the promised land, led them into God's rest, the idea of entering into God's rest as being something that's yet to come, well, that just doesn't make sense. So that's the second illustration we have of God's rest, the Israelites entering the promised land. Which brings us on to the third illustration of God's rest. God's ultimate rest, which Jesus gives. Verse 9, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. The names uh, Joshua and Jesus, I'm sure many of you will be aware of this, were the same in both Hebrew and Greek. And the writer of Hebrews would definitely have known this. Joshua led God's people to their first rest and Jesus will lead God's people to their final rest. This rest is more than following the Mosaic law and more than the rest the Israelites experienced when they entered into the promised land and could settle there. This is God's ultimate rest in God's eternal kingdom. And we're going to hear more about the glorious future God promises as we continue through this sermon series. So God's ultimate rest is given by Jesus. And verse 10 tells us involves resting from work. Now this might sound like an easy thing to do, but I think it's harder than we might realise or think. The rest that Jesus gives is not rest that we can earn through our actions. It's not rest that comes through hard work. It's rest that's given by Jesus and received through faith. Now that sounds great, but we often use, all the time I use and I hear the language of deserving a break or having earned a rest. Yet the challenging But good news, very good news, is that this ultimate rest is a gift that Jesus gives us and that we receive through believing and trusting in him. This is challenging, I think, because we can, if we're honest, sometimes become proud about overworking or being very busy, whilst often, if you're like me, complaining about it at the same time. I've been in conversations uh, that have felt like a who works the most hours competition. Overworking or being very busy isn't what leads us to God's final rest. And if we think about it, we know that. And yet we don't always live that. God's final rest is a free gift of Jesus. So this is challenging because it might mean humbling ourselves, uh, not becoming proud about overworking or being very, very busy. Because that's not what leads us to enter God's final rest. It's a free gift of Jesus. It's also challenging because it may require us to reevaluate our priorities. It is faith, our relationship with God through which we receive God's ultimate rest. Yet, as I shared with you just a few moments earlier, I know it can be so easy and so tempting to put other things ahead of responding to my first calling and your first calling, which is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's really tempting for the quiet time to go when the diary is really busy. So how can we have 
the rest that Jesus gives. Well, the writer of Hebrews begins chapter 4 by exhorting the letters, readers and hearers, to prioritise seeking God's rest. There's a sense of urgency, I don't know if you noticed that. Since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. That's verse 1. We have this urgency again in verse 11. Make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish. So first thought on how we can have the rest that Jesus gives. Making entering God's rest a priority in our lives. I am sure that I probably spend more time thinking about what I'm going to do on my day off or my next holiday than I do thinking about God's glorious kingdom and God's ultimate rest, the rest that Jesus gives. And yet, when I do think about the rest that Jesus gives, rest that's not earned or deserved, it takes the pressure off in the here and now. I am no longer a slave to my own or others' expectations, as though I have to prove I'm worthy of God's ultimate rest or as though overworking or being very busy will get me closer to God. I am reminded that I live in and out of and by God's grace and strength. Challenging, but very good news. So that's the uh, first thought on how we can have the rest Jesus gives, making entering Jesus' rest a priority in our lives. Second thought, we can receive the rest Jesus gives through God's word. That's verse 12. God's word here would have been the Old Testament and also the good news of Jesus, both the message that Jesus himself came to bring and the message that others would go on to tell about the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. When we spend time in prayer and worship and Bible study and with other Christians, when we open ourselves up to God's word, it speaks to our hearts. There's nothing that's hidden. It challenges us and encourages us and changes us. And we grow in the faith by which we enter into God's ultimate rest. So God's word, that's the second uh, thought. Spending time in God's word, deepening our faith. And third thought, whilst we might not be able to have relaxation anytime soon, and I think that's probably what many of us really long for, whilst we might not be able to have relaxation anytime soon, perhaps not even in this lifetime, we can know and we can inhabit God's rest today. Verse uh, 7, did you notice there's uh, those two mentions of today? We can inhabit God's rest today because God's ultimate rest is not simply a place that is to come, but it's a way of being where we live in and out of Jesus's promises. And in doing so, just like I said, it takes the pressure off. We know his rest. So this morning then, My invitation to all of us is to fix our eyes afresh on Jesus, that as well as longing for God's eternal rest when we will cease 
um, from work. We might also live in and out of the rest that comes from knowing we are called and loved by Jesus and in doing that receive God's rest for ourselves today. The rest that comes from living from a place of grace rather than a place of striving. Amen.